Welcome to Infoblox Threat Talk, where you'll find the latest thinking on how to tap the full potential of the cloud while making your network more reliable, secure, and automated. Welcome, and in this episode, we will double click on security automation and how an integrated ecosystem approach can help speed up incident response for security teams. My name is Krupa Srivatsan, Director of Product Marketing for Security at Infoblox, and I have with me Craig Sanderson, VP of Security Product Management um, at Infoblox. And in case you've not listened to our other podcast, we did one recently on using DNS or domain name system as a foundational security architecture for automated early detection of malicious activity. And I would highly recommend listening to that podcast as well. So let's get to it. Organizations have reached a point where they're really wary of putting in yet another security tool in the network, which is going to create more alerts, more cycles to manage. They just want the stuff that they already have to work better and help them do their jobs with minimum overhead, right? And there is a global cybersecurity skill shortage. I think one of the numbers I saw was 2.93 million cybersecurity jobs unfilled globally. There are not that many people with the needed skills, right? And these short-staffed security teams are still having to deal with 500, if not 1,000 alerts a day. They're still managing 30-plus security tools in their organization. It's humanly impossible to do that. And they probably effectively are able to address 10 to 15 alerts a day. And bear in mind, many of these alerts may not even be worth following up on, but they don't know that because they don't have the context of whether it's an important security threat or it's just something that's noise, right? And so the best way to help these security teams, who all they want is to reduce the time it takes to respond to incidents, right? That's what the CISO wants. That's what everybody wants. And the best way to do that is through automation. So Craig, can you kick us off and talk about how an ecosystem approach, especially connecting the silos of security and networking tools, how can that automatic sharing of information help address some of these challenges? Yeah, no, I think it's probably the, the biggest challenge that we see in the industry right now. Uh, you've seen the industry has shifted from an attempt to try and prevent threats and try and like build a wall around your application and your data and, and your users. I mean, that just doesn't work in, in the current economy. And it's certainly going to happen when digital transformation really kicks off. And so really the key for a lot of these organizations, as they shift from trying to prevent stuff to detection and response, then the key assets they really need to try and make sense of what is going on with this avalanche of, of events they're getting from all the tools they've already bought. And those tools are clearly, for the vast majority of cases, have not been very well integrated. So you're getting all these disaggregated sets of events from different tools. And some poor analysts, the analysts you can't even afford to hire or you can't even locate, uh, whenever you do, they still struggle to be able to correlate between these different security events. And one of the, the key parts to it is not just about the security events themselves, it's also about the network context. It's about understanding like what device is under investigation or is exhibiting an indication of compromise. So in your attempt to respond, how do you prioritize? If you can't get through all the events, how do you make sure you get through the right number of events to prioritize the right ones? I talked to uh, one CISO in particular, they're in the financial services industry, and I asked them what percentage of events you actually get through, and he said, well, like 8%. I said, right, it's the, it's the right 8%, right? And he said, uh, um, we like to think so. And when you kind of break it down, the challenge for them is really understanding like not just the security context, but the network context, and then having a system that can allow the different disparate security tools and platforms you've got 
to really work together. And so one of the things that has been pretty clear is there is a need with that network context to share data that is in a platform that's normally owned by a network guy, getting that shared to the security team so that they're not trying to do their job with essentially one arm tied behind their back. And they're probably one of the best examples that we've got is, I mean, just take vulnerability scanning. Um, I talked to one customer and they're in a, a regulated industry. They have to do vulnerability scanning as part of uh, their security controls. And I asked them, like, like, how's that working out for you? So, well, my problem is, is we're trying to scan what we think is 60% of our network. We often scan the same device three times and don't realize it. And just the whole process of having a vulnerability scanner kind of blindly wandering around the network, trying to work out what is either on or off the network. Well, that can be fundamentally like, improved just by sharing the network context that, for example, the DHCP server would have. So I never get into the office at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. So if you're Infobox's security team and you try to scan my device at 10 a.m., I'm just not going to be here. So according to Infobox, like, my device and I don't exist. Well, the better way of doing it is when I do rock up to the office at, say, 10.30, then when I connect to the Wi-Fi network, what's going to happen? I'm going to get an IP address. So having the ability to automatically tell the vulnerability scanner new devices on the network, and there's the additional context that thing has. I mean, based on the DHCP fingerprint, it knows that I use a MacBook of this certain version. So not only can I tell the vulnerability scanner this device exists, I can also say, well, don't bother scanning it like it's a Windows PC, because it's not. It's a MacBook. So we can not only make the vulnerability scanners more effective, more dynamic, but also more efficient as well. And it's, a, it's a, such a simple integration, and yet it is incredibly powerful because you've now taken that network context and automatically applied it yeah. to this other security tool. And there's also this notion of a scan gap when you talk about vulnerability scanners, right? Many mm -hmm. companies probably have it set up to scan the network maybe once a week, maybe mm -hmm. uh, once in two weeks, right? It depends. Yeah. So if in between that time window, if a rogue device has joined the network. Right. It does something it's not supposed to, mm -hmm. and then it's off before the scanning starts. Yeah. You're never going to know about it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, uh, if you combine both the network context with the security context, this is why we're seeing more organizations taking threat intelligence and putting it on a DNS server. So when a client tries to go to a malicious domain or an ex if it's some form of indication of compromise, the nice thing is, is we can send a notification to one of the vulnerability scanners and they can then scan that device. So what that means is the old way of doing it was I could send a security event from my DNS platform or my next generation firewall. I could then do scanning separately. And then it's down to a human to kind of like bridge that gap. Well, why get a human in the loop? If you need to respond at machine level speed, the last thing you want to do is have to rely on a human to take those disaggregated security events and somehow glue them all together. And especially if they're getting thousands of events and they can't deal with all of them in a day, I mean, the ability for the human to keep up is almost impossible, but it is impossible. So what we're able to do is we see a client go to a malicious domain, we can block it, we can tell the bomb scanner, and when the scanner then goes and scans it, so if that domain is known to be tied to ransomware that exploits this vulnerability, well, the obvious thing that you as a security operations guy wants to do is to understand, is this a breach or is this something which is contained? Well, if, the, if it's the case that, you know, my machine, if you scan it and you realize it's patched, so it's not vulnerable to that exploit, well, probably that's a user who's clicked on a phishing link, but they're not going to be exposed. So 
yes, you should log the event, but you don't need to spend any more time on it because the threat is essentially contained. If that client is like non-compliant and it could have been exposed, wow, you've got a bigger problem. So in a, just as a way to try, by integrating the security operations together, it gives you a great opportunity to self-select and prioritize what you need to go after, where do you have to do additional investigation. But because right now, piecing it together is almost entirely down to a human, and they're just not be able to keep up with the speeds that they, that they need to. Yeah, and let's not forget, we, we don't have enough humans to fill up those jobs. So, you know, there is the aspect of manual processes being error-prone, but there's also not enough humans right. to do these things in a timely fashion, mm -hmm. right? I think whenever I go to RSA or I go to any, uh, you know, road shows and events and I talk to customers, uh, we do a lot of CISO breakfast events, yeah. which you've been a part of, Craig. Yeah. So the number one thing that always comes up from a CISO's perspective is how can I speed up my response time? Right. They know that they cannot prevent everything, 100%, they cannot prevent threats from entering the network all the time. But when it does happen, how can I respond to it in a timely way? And they can't do it if they don't have enough people. Right. But one way to help is through automation. Right. Right. And the things like vulnerability scanners, integration, um, endpoint security, NAT, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's critical. Yeah, I guess I mean from from your perspective, group. I mean, I mean we see we start to hear the acronym source of security orchestration automation response. We're hearing a lot of that. I mean, where are you? What's your feedback on, on what you're getting from customers? Yeah, I hear that too, and I think some of the more mature organizations are thinking about implementing security orchestration automation response, the SOAR um, implementation, so to speak. And then when I went to RSA, I saw a lot of chatter and, and you know talk about using SOAR as a way to alleviate the, uh, the resource shortage and to really speed up the incident response. So I do see it kind of at an inflection point, right. where some of the more mature organizations are thinking of implementing it. Right. Um, and you know, there are a few vendors there that are offering really great platforms, and I know that Infoblocks is integrated with a couple of them. Right. So I think that the context that DDI provides to these sort of platforms, again, like right. you said, is really critical to, to really help the security operations teams know which are the important threats, right. which ones are critical, which ones are not. Yeah, I, mean, I, had one, I had a conversation with uh, one head of cyber threat response, and his main priority was to implement the SOAR tool because quite often his level three analysts were being completely swamped. Their tier one guys were getting requests. They weren't in a position to really like properly investigate the incident, and so they were they're almost like a mail relay. Mail comes in, goes straight up to the tier three guys. So to scale your security organization, you need to drive that level of orchestration and automation. And as you said, it, I mean, even very basic use cases, if you have a, a device that you think is compromised, I mean, one of the things I, I say to people is, you know, CEOs don't get fired because they get breached. They get fired because when someone with a microphone comes up to them and says, well, what's going on? What got breached? What data got lost? And when the CEO says, I don't know, it looks like they can't run their company. And that's how they get fired. And if you think about it, just the network context, if I think a device has been compromised, the obvious thing to do is to say, well, okay, what has this device been doing? What assets has it been like communicating with or accessing in the internal environment? That will give you a fundamental clue to what kind of breach it is and the scope of the breach. And you've already got a perfect audit trail for all of the internal resources that client has been accessing. And it's in your DNS logs. Your DNS logs will tell you if that client's been going to the finance server or the HR server. If it's going to the HR server, it's probably after like, 
user details, for example, the finance server, financial information, or whatever it happens to be. But again, it's that challenge of, again, we suffer from that divide where the security guys are trying to do their job, but they lack that network context. So that context will essentially provide a breadcrumb to help them not only prioritize what they go after, but also how they do the threat investigation. And if you don't have access to that data, it's really difficult for you to effectively respond in a in an efficient and effective kind of manner. Right, right. And one thing I hear is, you know, I think some some people are still not clear how SOAR will help them over and above a SIM solution, for example. Right. So I think there is some distinction to be made between a pure SOAR platform right. and a SIM. Yeah, I think with, I mean, SIMs certainly have their place, and obviously they, they provide some correlation. But when it comes down to if I'll give you a simple example. If one of your users sends you an email and says, um, look, I think this is a phishing email. Well, okay, what does the security operations guide do? Well, he can go and look at the SIM and then he has to write rules to try and correlate this stuff together. Where I think the SOAR platforms provide value is it allows them to kind of walk that user through, the security operations guide through, what the process should be. And that, and quite often, the challenge when it comes to security operations isn't that you don't have enough tools, you almost have too many. But the challenge for these organizations is they can't codify the process. So what do you do if you get a phishing email? Like, how do you do the investigation? How do you do it in a consistent manner? And through the playbook, SOAR tools give you that kind of capability. But those SOAR tools themselves, they can give you the playbook, but unless they can easily access data that allow the, or the operations guide to kind of step through the process, if they can't access that key set of data, again, they're still not going to be effective. So. I think SOAR tools certainly help when it comes to operationalizing security, and you can still use your SIM, it still has a certain value, but allowing those operation staff, that limited staff you've got to be efficient and effective, that's where SOAR really comes into its own. But again, it doesn't work unless you've got the data to, to allow those SOAR tools to, to run through their playbook. True, true, absolutely. So let's, we talked a lot about internal context, the network context. You know, what is the user doing? Where has he been in, you know, in the network or outside the network? All the audit trail that yeah. we had with DNS logs and stuff like that, and IPAM and DHCP data. Now let's talk a little bit about external context. When I say external context, I mean an indicator of compromise. Let's right. say it's an IP address or a domain mm -hmm. name or a URL. Has it been used in ransomware campaigns? Is it being used in phishing campaigns? What are the other IPs, related IPs associated with that? Right. So all that falls under this category of threat investigation, right? right? So generally, and you and I were talking about this recently, generally what threat analysts do to investigate a particular indicator of compromise, so to speak, is they go to different places on the internet. Like you said, right. you know, virus total, malware analysis, domain tool, right? right. Mm -hmm. And they try to piece all this information about that indicator yeah. manually, you yeah. know, copy paste stuff from different locations, and then they try to figure, map out the campaign, right? right? Ransomware, phishing, whatever it is. And they map out all the IPs associated with that so they can start blocking everything to the whole list of IPs and domains and URLs. Mm -hmm. So there is an automation play to be had here, right? Yeah. Instead of doing all these things manually, if there is a tool like Infoblox provides, right, a threat automated threat investigation tool that can aggregate all this information from the 10, 15 different sources on the internet, right. provided in one UI in one platform, I've actually heard from our customer, which you mentioned earlier this week, is that we were able to make threat analysts 
three times more effective with providing a tool like that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it might sound a little bit mundane, but quite often when you're dealing with security operations guys, they spend so much time cut and pasting different sets of threat intelligence context to build up that view of the threat they're dealing with. Then uh, the, uh, the security operations manager I was talking to said, well, most of my very expensive threat analysts spend a lot of time cutting and pasting from multiple websites. And so their, their estimate was, it only took them about an hour to gather all the data, understand and evaluate the threat of the incident, and then like, process it through the system. Of which 40 minutes of that was gathering data. So you're not gonna pay a guy a load of money to spend most of his time cutting and pasting. That's not what it's there for. So the tool that we use, Dossier, is uh, something which our analysts used to use. It's a way to make sure you can gather all the context in an efficient manner. So you're not spending time cutting and pasting from different sites. It's all presented in, in one form. And that allows these, the, the threat analysts to start to do the pivot farming and mining that you need to do when you're doing threat investigation. And as part of that, you want to be able to say, well, okay, I've got this, this domain. I can get access, I don't know, data from domain tools that will tell me who owns it. I can then go and find out all the other domains that guy owns. I can then go and look at my DDI data, my DNS and DHCP and IPAM data to see which of my clients in my internal network have been going to any site owned by that guy. So all of the, the typical process that threat investigation will require really make sure you, the key part of it is making sure that you can get all the data in a timely manner in a format that's easy to consume. Because these guys are already going to be overloaded. They've got too many events to deal with anyway. The last thing you want is those guys going off and having to spend a lot of time cutting and pasting on different websites. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that was a great story. And when I when you described that to me on the week, I was like, that's perfect, right? That's what we mean by security automation. Right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Removing the human element, removing the you know cost of human touch and human error. There is a cost to having humans do everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and over time, I think what we can see is there is a, a trend in the industry where Traditionally, security vendors have been absolutely lousy when it comes to sharing both network and security context with each other. And so what that means is for an organization is you have all these different like silos, whether they're operations tools or even uh, security infrastructure. And as a result, like, the only way you can bridge those different islands of security is really through a human. And so bearing in mind so much, of, so much hacking and so much of the adversary's work is becoming automated, they're doing a great job of automation, but the, uh, the enterprise defenders are not. And partly it's down to the tools and platforms that are available. And one of the things that we try to do here at Infoblox, uh, all the guys who work for me, they know we don't build any security features unless we can integrate with these other tools. Because if we create another island of security, that then just like exponentially increases the amount of effort required by the humans to operationalize it. And if we don't get a handle on this, as the, as the industry moves to more towards detection and response driven by digital transformation. You really need to make sure that your operations can keep up. And I'm seeing now organizations going into a moratorium of I'm not going to buy any more gear because I can't operate the tools I've got. One, one CISO I dealt with, uh, he said to me, he goes, well, I have 30 security tools and platforms, and yet I have the skills and staff and resources to operationalize 12 of them. I've got 18 tools that are sitting there gathering dust. And it's not because those tools aren't valuable, not they wouldn't provide insight, it's just that you just don't have the skills and the staff and the, the automation to actually effectively use them. Unless we change that, security is not going to get better for enterprise defenders anytime soon. Yeah, well said. 
Um, so I think with that, we are ready to conclude this episode on security automation. Just as a recap, you know, having an ecosystem approach, having automated tools to provide that data with the rest of the ecosystem and to help threat analysts do better and faster threat investigation, I think is key. And so thank you, Craig, for all your insights. Please stay tuned and thank you for listening today. You've been listening to InfoBlocks Threat Talk. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about maintaining a secure, always-on network that enables digital transformation, visit www.infoblocks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.